0: Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am your host, Ian Altman. Especially for our regular listeners, once again, I know you're shocked, flabbergasted and all those things. I'm joined this week by Anna David. Now, if you don't know Anna, well, for starters, you will after this podcast episode, but you're gonna really enjoy getting to know her. Anna, among other things, is a New York Times bestselling author. Now I will tell you that I am often introduced as a bestselling author, but it wasn't on the New York Times list. And yes, I've sold tens of thousands of books, but not on the New York Times list, which is a, is a, a distinct and different designation. She's spoken on three different TEDx stages. And as someone who's a professional speaker, I've never spoken on a TEDx stage. So Anna's got that on me too. She's the founder of the Legacy Launchpad business that helps authors gain, gain credibility from books. Once again, I don't have a business called Legacy Launchpad, so <laughs> she's got me on that as well. And so, you know, we're, we're going to learn a ton from Anna. So Anna, welcome to the show.
1: Oh my God, I'm so much better than you. That's what I've learned from that intro. And it feels you know good, I... Ian. It
0: feels <laughs> really good. You know what? I, I'm glad it feels good for you. For me, I feel a little bit humbled. And a little bit overwhelmed at this point. So, you know, I'm gonna to have to get over that.
1: Well, I'll tell you something. This is gonna this is gonna get you over that. You have sold more books than me. Like this, the dirty little secret about the New York Times list is it's about how many books sell that week and yeah. how many other books are selling that week. And sure. I will try to pass all sorts of things off, but I but I can't lie to you, Ian. It was my book hit the list, it was the extended list. Still counts, ebook doesn't matter. I still dine out on I'm a New York Times bestselling author, but I guarantee it didn't sell as many books as you have.
0: <laughs> well, well, maybe have. It's interesting. One of my good friends, fellow speaker Phil Jones, wrote a book called Exactly What to Say. Phil has sold over a million copies of that book, never made the New York Times list. So it's uh, but, but nonetheless, it's something that you earned. And so you get to have that moniker from now to the end of time. And, and in the spirit of that, one of the things that you talk about is this notion that selling 100 books to the right people is better than selling 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 to the wrong people. What do you mean by that?
1: What I mean by that is when I had that New York Times bestselling book, I couldn't afford the cab fare to the book party. I lived in New York at the time. I was... Utterly broke, and in the eyes of the world, very, very successful. And it was my sixth book, and I, I'm in recovery from traditional publishing, which you know I sold my first book to Harper Collins, and, and it came out in 2007. And nobody ever said to me, "Hey, why are you doing this book? What do you want your reader to? Do? Who who's your reader? What do you want them to do when you're done reading your book?" No one asked me, and it, I didn't. It didn't occur to me to ask myself. So I published six books. I got Tons of press and I made no money. And what I realized looking back, like you know, probably like curled up in the fetal position, going, like, how is this my life? I'm like, well, wait, what did books do for me? They gave me a lot of credibility. I released this funny novel about my recovery from addiction, and suddenly I'm on the Today Show as an addiction expert. And, and at first, I, was, I would panic and I had a TV agent and I was like, I have to go get a degree in psychology, right? Like they're calling me an addiction expert. I'm not an expert in anything but doing drugs. And he's like, you don't need a degree, you have a book. And when I realized that, that's when I became really passionate about I'm going to help people who are actual experts in things, produce books so that the world sees them as experts. So if you write a book and it is a book you want to change someone's life, or you want them to hire your company. If a hundred people read that and their lives change, and they hire you, that is so much more valuable than the ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand, you know, largely indifferent audience that most people are seeking.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've got a I've got a, a client of mine, a member in our same side selling academy. Uh, they run a business called Optimal Networks, and Optimal Networks serves nonprofits and law firms. So they're they're an IT consulting shop, primarily serving those two spaces, law firms and nonprofits. And a number of years ago, I said, look, what are you guys really doing for law firms? Well, we help modernize the way law firms run because historically they use old outdated technology. And we talked about it and, and I encouraged them to write a book called The Modern Law Firm. And my guess is, it has not gotten anywhere near a New York Times bestseller list. But inside of law firms, people know this book. Yep. And when they're talking to the law firm about, well, here's some approaches, and the CEO gets to say, and here's this book we wrote about this. Here's the funny part. People think they released the book four years ago, so it's no longer relevant. Actually, for them to say, oh, oh yeah, we wrote this four years ago. They're like, wow, these guys are really ahead of the game. Like four years ago, they were writing about the modern law firm. This is fantastic. And it gives them, for lack of a better term, a really nice business card that gives yeah. them instant credibility. And, and I think, is that kind of what you're getting at?
1: It does that, but it does so much more. I mean, I also think that hardworking, go, go, go entrepreneurs often the last thing they do is sort of sit back and get perspective on all that they've accomplished in their lives and everything. So even if you're not going to publish the book, even if you are going to, I have uh, impassioned feelings about AI that are kind of surprising. I'm all for it. I'm just not all for it to write a book. But let's say you don't want to write a book, but you're a successful entrepreneur who just wants perspective on your life. I've had a I just wrote a story about this for psychology today. I have people go to chat GPT, my students, and put in, tell the story of, like I did, tell the story of a struggling writer turned successful uh, publisher through the lens of the hero's journey. And yeah. you can actually get perspective on your life. So yes, so it is, it is about having a business card. It is about not having to explain what you do to every single person you meet. And it is about being the expert in the topic.
0: Yeah, you know what? And I think it's it's interesting because the first book I wrote was a book called Upside Down Selling that I had written because the first book I was writing was taking too long to write. And I'm like, I got to get another book out there. So I wrote this book, Upside Down Selling, that was almost a compilation of three or four articles that were really popular that I had written. I pulled those together. It was really successful, which then gave me the space to write my first book, which was not Same Side Selling, and then I never wrote that one, and then I met Jack, and Jack and I ended up writing Same Side Selling, and the, quote, first book never made it out of the shoot because it didn't really need to be written. And right. And, of course, there's the next book that every time I think about writing it, I think, yeah, I don't know that I'm up for that. Because to write a book that is relevant for people, that's going to be an easy read, that people enjoy is not something that people should just wing it that requires some guidance, requires some structure, requires people to say, why would someone read this? Who's going to care about it? And I think that sometimes people write books that should have never been written. So how do you help people figure out which books are worth writing and which ones aren't?
1: Okay, you're talking to someone who wrote a book about reality TV shows because I thought, well, they're popular. So I am the quintessential person who has written multiple books that should not have been (laughs) written. And I talk to people all the time. The, the, The thing is, sometimes the ideas are great. But it doesn't matter. It's not the book that person should write, because basically if you are going to write a book at the highest level, publish it at the highest level. And why do it if you're not going to do it at the highest level? It is either going to take you a lot of time or a lot of money. And so make it an investment that's going to pay back. Uh, People will say to me, I just want to help people. And I'm, I'm not that cynical. I'm thrilled that my books help people. But if you just want to help people, go volunteer. Yeah. A book is a massive undertaking. So have another goal beyond helping some people you may never even hear from.
0: Well, you know what? I think, I think that's great advice. In fact, what I'll often ask people is, so when you write this book, what's your goal? Is your goal to make money from selling the book? Because very few... Yeah. Very few authors actually achieve that. Is your goal to establish credibility in your space? Is your goal to use the book to get on stages to speak? I mean, it's it's interesting because as much as I will often joke about, well, what's the real value in a book? I don't think there's ever been a time where when I'm delivering a keynote to thousands of people, that it doesn't include it's a best-selling author a same-side selling.
1: Absolutely. It's like, you know,
0: that that doesn't happen. And and here's another, here's another fun fact. Each time that I've been to a book signing, it's to sign my own book, not somebody else's. And that's, you know, another another shocker for people. But right. so how should people measure the success of their book and what sort of goals should they expect mm-hmm. when they're considering writing a book? If you want to get top results for your team, take a look at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesideselling.com to learn more.
1: Well, I'll tell you, when people come to us at, If they say, how much money am I going to get from book sales? And, oh, how hard is it to sell it to a traditional publisher after we publish? I I say you are not the client for us
0: because
1: um, it is not about book sales. So, So I know... A handful of writers who were number one New York Times bestselling authors who, who were on Oprah with their books, who had their books made into movies, who cannot rub two nickels together today because they, their books did not support their business. And I know people that have sold a couple hundred books who are massively successful as a result of their books. So it's redefining what is success. I know for me, my clients, you know, a value of a client is anywhere from $22,000 to $150,000. So one person hiring me as a result of reading my books is a terrific success. But I think also I I went through six book launches where I was absolutely miserable because I was like, why is it not doing this? Why am I not on this show? Why is it like constantly hitting refresh on Amazon? So make it the things you can control go into it knowing who you want to read it and how are you going to reach them? Maybe it's literally like you have a list of uh, people who've talked to you about hiring you and you're going to send them a copy. This is something I picked up from Alan Weiss. When you're sending a copy of your book to a potential client, sign two and send both. Your potential client knows another potential client and people don't like to throw away signed books. So have something like that Always um, have, do you know, you know, Mike Koenigs, right? You know, he's like, I always have my book on me. He, you know, met Richard Dreyfus, the actor on a plane. And he's like, hey, this is my book. I'm a best selling author. And the next thing he knows that, you know, they're recording something together. So be really clear that, you know, I always think of it like to write, to write an authority building book, have it be so clear that somebody could read the book and do exactly what you're describing and somebody else could read the book and go, I need to hire that author.
0: Sure. Yeah. In fact, that's often often what I say about same-side selling is, look, there are people who buy the book, follow what's in it, execute it, and then send us a note that say, wow, this has transformed our business. There are other people who read the book and say, wow, I totally love this approach. I need you to come in and work with our team to do this. Yep. Other people, oh, I read the book. We're going to join your academy so that we can take a, take a further step into this. And I think that that's part of what people... I think sometimes lose is it's almost like, well, I want people to use my services. So I'm going to withhold some of my best information from the book. And I think that's a big mistake, but I'm curious what you think.
1: I think it's like if I, it's like going on a podcast and you asking something and me going, oh, that's in chapter six of my book. So I can't really (laughs) talk about that. The less you try to promote, the better it's going to go in terms of, Promotion. And so I think that always think about, I'll tell you one of one of my books, Make Your Mess Your Memoir, I pictured a couple that I knew, that had talked to me about like hiring my company. And every page I thought of them, you know, they were my avatar. Would they like this? Would they respond to this? Would this make sense to them? The book comes out, they don't read it, but lots and lots of people like them do read it, hire my company. The book got me on Good Morning America. And then I ran into them a couple years later and told them that story. And guess what? Now we're working with them. So I think if there's one person you know whose life could be transformed by what you're going to share in that book, there are others. And it's like the riches are in the niches.
0: Yep. And, and in fact, let me let me follow up on that a little bit, because I think this is something where people fall into a trap. What you're saying is, okay, let's think about who the reader is of this. So for example, my client who wrote this book for law firms, the modern law firm, what I said to them was, and you and I didn't know each other, I probably would have said, Hey, you should work with Anna and they can help you yeah. with this. So instead they had to they had to find editors and and you know and and you know, layout people and all that kind of stuff on their own. But they had said, Well, I want something that that associates can understand and paralegals can understand. and I said, No, 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 that's your audience is the managing partner. Yeah. My thought is you need to speak to them, not speak to everybody. So where, where do you draw that line?
1: I'm, one of the best descriptions of this I ever heard was in Ryan Holiday's Perennial Seller, amazing book. And he talks about why the riches are in the niches for books is, so so Ian, the last book you read, why'd you read it? Let me, I'm putting you on the
0: spot. Well, I read it because they were a guest on my podcast, but that's a whole different issue. It's
1: close, (laughs) but 99% of the books you and I have read Somebody we trust recommended it. It was yeah. either we heard the author on a podcast, a friend said you've got to read this, uh, I, I, New York Magazine. I, you know, I'll do whatever it says. So what happens when you create a book that's so specifically for, let's just say, like the bit, the the people who own law firms, is they read it and they go, "This was written exactly for me," and they become your little salespeople. And we are so much more likely to read a book because someone else told us to read it, not. The author told us to read it. So the smaller your audience, the better off you are.
0: It's it's exactly, and and I I couldn't agree with you more. I think that like I'll see people who write a book and then they'll say, like my buddy Phil Jones, his book, Exactly What to Say, kind of generic about messaging and positioning for sales. And then he partnered with someone else to write exactly what to say for real estate professionals. And there's that niche of a book and it sells a ton because if you're in the real estate business, it's like, well, you could either buy the generic exactly what to say, or you could buy exactly what to say for real estate professionals. And guess what? There's enough of an audience there that they can do a run of 20,000 copies of that book just for that audience. And they're going to, they're going to eat it up and just keep buying more and more of it. And so I think that too often, and it applies in sales, applies in marketing, when people try to be everything to everybody, it turns out that they end up being nothing to everybody. Instead of if you pick that niche area, if you provide that unique perspective for that audience, that audience embraces and says, finally, someone wrote a book for left-handed, um, you know, left-handed crochet experts in, you know, who were originally born in the South and now moved to the North. Oh my God, I can't believe. And every one of the people who it fits that demographic will buy that book because it feels like it's all for them.
1: That's like, I always say, there's a Facebook group called let's pretend we're all ant eaters in a colony and it has over 1.8 million members. So please don't worry that your niche is too small. (laughs) Um, With my, with my book, I actually thought about putting a quiz at the beginning and saying, if you don't pass this, put this book down. It felt a little aggressive, so I didn't do it, but you know, I was really clear that I, um, I, I don't, I didn't want dreamers to read my book when you're in this business. I can't tell you the number of people I meet with stars in their eyes, and they're like, "I'm going to sell my book to a traditional publisher," and sadly, traditional publishers don't care about how good your idea is; they care about how big your audience is, and and so then they say, "And I want to go on book tour, and I want to, you know, and I and I don't want dreamers reading my new book because they get mad." I had some beta readers who got so upset by what I was saying in my book, which is your book is not going to be successful in the traditional sense. So let's talk about how you can make it successful uh, in a way that's actually gonna matter for you. And and they got mad and they called it trite. <laughs> and so I don't want those people.
0: Stay yeah. away from me. Well, and let's, let's talk about this. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about the role of traditional publisher? So a novice author, Goes yeah. with the traditional publisher. What are they expecting the publisher to do versus reality? And this is not intended to bash traditional publishers, but rather I just want people to have appropriate expectations about what you might think a traditional publisher is going to do versus what they actually do
1: yeah, well, first of all, a novice writer will never get a deal with a a big traditional publisher unless they have an audience. So it was very different. I got in at two thousand in two thousand and five. I had a big name as a magazine writer. There was no social media, so that was enough. Yeah. today, um, you know, sadly, the deals are, not, are are going to the people with, you know, I'd say if you don't have a minimum of 100,000 followers, real ones, you, you you can't dream of a deal. If you get a deal, I think the biggest curse is you're big enough to get a deal, but you're not big enough to be valuable to the publisher. That's when you're really screwed because that that's who I was for six books. And what happens is it, it, so the expectations, it's probably going to take about two and a half years between acquisition and release. Um, Your publisher has, you know, hundreds of other books and the, and publishers, the way they do business is they they know they've got Glennon Doyle and J.K. Rowling and James Clear and Tim Ferriss, and they are planning to lose money on the majority of their books. And so they're going to put all their resources, all their manpower, all their effort into the authors who don't need their help. And it's not because they're terrible people. It's because they're business people. Yeah. And you are probably, unless you're famous, not good business for them. And there's no book tour. And, you know, I know that uh, people say, well, I want my book um, in bookstores. When I was with Harper, they would get my books in bookstores for two weeks. And now I can get my own books into Barnes & Noble by walking in and saying, I'm a local author. And guess what? They The way publishers set up sales, uh, they make the books non-returnable which uh, that makes the bookstore not wanna order it. And so bookstores won't order my traditionally published books, but will happily order the books that my company publishes because we make them returnable. I'd rather have, you know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have two copies of my book in Barnes & Noble and have them never sell so that people walk in and see those books there than, you know, a thousand that sell right away.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because when I talk to people, they'll say, well, because the publisher is gonna help promote my book. No, they won't. They'll set up bookstores. No, they won't. They'll market it. Actually, no, they won't. But but as an author, you get to do all of those things. And and if you look back 20 years ago, it was really tough for people to find an editor, someone to do layout, someone someone, you know, a structural editor, a content editor, all those different things. Now you can go online and find people. You can go to you can go to different companies like yours that provide those resources to ensure that people can produce a quality book. And then guess what? If you want to do print on demand, fine. If you want to, if you want to pre-print, like when we do runs, we tend to do about 10,000 copies at a time. And yeah, we've got an inventory. But you know, same side selling was published through idea press, but idea press is more like a hybrid publisher. So for some people, they use them as a traditional publisher. Jack and I, I think we were the first, um, the, the first book that Idea Press published that wasn't one of his own books. So it's Roet Bargava's company. Roet's mm-hmm. published a number of best-selling books, um, and New York Times best-selling books. And Roet had done traditional publishing and said, All right, well, I, I need a different way to do this. And then we did it, and it was like, in his case, he said, Well, do you want to take on the risk? You want me to take on the risk? We'll do it either way. I know you guys have an audience. And we said, No, no, we'll take on the risk. And it worked out really well that way. And we have more control over it. But I think that it's fascinating because a lot of times you'll see authors and they say, yeah, you know, it costs me $15 every time I want to send out a, a copy of a book. And you're like, okay, then the publisher's just making money off of you. <laughs> They're not yeah. care about anyone else. They're just making it off of you. And it's more about, do you have books that you can use to establish your authority? Yeah. And which which ties to your next book of on your yeah. authority. Yep. And so, so talk a little bit about On Good Authority, what prompted you to write it and who it's for.
1: So what prompted me to write it is the, the mistake I made with six books and the mistake I've witnessed hundreds and hundreds of people make, which is, first of all, they don't think of what, what's the book. They don't, ha- they don't go with like, my book is for blank, who want blank, so they can blank, like fill that in. So that's the preparing for part. They don't promote correctly because they think, oh, my book's coming out next week. How should I promote? Whereas you should be thinking (laughs) about that from, if possible, before you start writing, but guaranteed as you are writing. Um, with social media, obviously, like most of us think of as, as an albatross, like the way I look at it is it's a privilege. There used to be gatekeepers. Now we're all our own TV shows, magazines, art galleries, whatever we want to be. I have a system for taking the book that I'm writing and converting it into social media posts. It takes about an hour a week. I've gotten hundreds of thousands of dollars in clients while building my audience for my book while also validating are people interested in this? Do they want to know more about this? So the promotion has to happen while you're doing it as well. And then the profiting part is is basically it's like it's like the, you know, it's not if they if I build it, they'll come. What are you gonna do? It's the stuff I talked about with like, you know, the Mike Koenigs, like, you know, carry your books with you, the Alan Weiss, send them out. Um, you know h- how to use it to get speaking. How to convert your book into a talk. How to s- to sell your book from the stage without without sounding douchey. So it's basically how you can have a successful book guaranteed because you're defining success differently than people have.
0: It, exactly. You know what I think it's 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 so true. I think the notion of you know what makes a successful book is all a function of. What you want it to do for you. So the the expectation of I'm going to sell a million copies of this book. People need to realize is something that you are more likely to be to to be five foot four inches tall and be the NBA dunk champion than you are to to be someone who sells a million copies of a book of any book. So yeah. right there, it's like okay, set the proper expectations. But then it's a matter of. Is that a book, like, it's funny, I've got, my my children are 24 and 22, and people will say, like they'll like she'll mention something about me to a friend of hers, her friend looks up and says, oh, so your dad's kind of famous. And she says, yeah, if you're like, uh, if you're a middle-aged business owner, he's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but, but otherwise, no one cares. So it's just knowing your niche yeah. and where you add value the other thing that that I that I'll throw out there is this notion that by taking a position with a book and publishing it what you what you're able to do is say here's my viewpoint like for example I get to say here's my viewpoint on integrity based selling if you agree with that you may want more things that I do yeah if you disagree with that guess what for not a lot of money we both figured out that this isn't a good fit yeah yeah. But my, my angle, my, my approach is not going to change because you disagreed with what was in the book. It's like, you disagree with it? That's okay. I remember when we were um, early on, we published Same Side Selling. We had all these five-star reviews and someone gave a two-star review. And the two-star review was, well, I haven't read it, but. And then they <laughs> went on and gave it a two-star review. And my co-author, Jack, said, man, that's really annoying. I said, Jack, it's good. Because what do you mean? I said it gives credibility to all the five-star reviews. If there were only five-star reviews, then that might look a little suspicious. Now, once you cross 100 reviews, people are like, okay, well, they couldn't have that many friends. So, okay, this must be credible. But it's just, you know, and it's funny because I don't spend that much time saying, oh, you should review the book. And it's funny. Sometimes it'll be months between reviews. Meanwhile, Amazon's out of stock. They can't keep it in stock enough, but just- you know, I guess if people have something to complain about, they would review it. But if they don't have anything to complain about, they don't they don't need to share anything.
1: I mean, the statistic is one in 100 people who read it are going to write a review. People don't know how much it means to the author. Wait, One thing, though, that I wanted to go back to is you were like, yes, you can just Google today and find editors 90% of our clients are people who came to us because they did that. Oh, I'm sure. Unlike, unlike, say, being a surgeon, anybody can call themselves an editor. Oh, believe so me, yeah. So if you're going to go seek an editor, you're going to do this on your own, the number one bit of advice I can give you is say to that editor, what best-selling books have you edited and can you do a sample? Because these books come to us in disastrous oh. shape and they're like, Oh, I spent $10,000 on an editor.
0: I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I was very fortunate in that. So in, in the first book that, that, that I wrote upside down selling, I hired an editor who said, everything looks good, made like eight edits. And I thought I'm a genius. We wrote okay. same side selling. I, I was talking to Seth Godin at the time Seth said, oh, here's the editor that I use for, you know, these eight New York Times bestsellers. I thought, well, they're probably pretty credible. I reached out to her. We said, look, we feel pretty confident because we co-wrote this together and we've edited it all along. So just, you know, I'm sure it's not going to take very long. She got back to us and said, oh, dear God. (laughs) And and it was and she ripped it apart. And we were and, and, and our egos were crushed. And mm-hmm. every time we get a review, they highlight an area that as a professional editor, they identified that we totally were oblivious to. And so yeah. reaching out to someone like you with your expertise to find the right editor with that expertise is incredibly valuable because I get books all the time. People want to be on the podcast and we look through them and I'm like three pages in. And I'm like, I can't believe these people are going to actually try and sell this book. Like this is... Th- this should be this should be put on a roll next to a toilet like there's this is not anything that's know. readable.
1: I know I was talking to a friend about this yesterday because somebody brilliant people this she sent us this client who worked at, who works at Google brilliant guy he sends us this book it's too late really for us to help him and i'm like how do brilliant people make these mistakes and she's like because everybody's got a racket and they, you know they're good talkers and they convince people yeah. of that but yeah i will say we, I, i've spoken to seth go to a nuke or something is her name this beautiful amazing woman i don't know if that's who something like that was no, uh, the, so
0: so and Um, so the person who I worked with is Catherine Oliver, who's published a bunch. And in fact, I think that Seth is now used someone else more recently, but Catherine is someone who it's, and now Catherine will get all these emails from people saying, will you review my book? she's going to be like, I can't believe you did that on air, but she'll get over it. And, um, so Catherine is one of these people who has this really dry sense of humor. So she would, she would post a comment. When she was reading, you know, in, in her in her edits, and we're like, What do you think she means by this? I don't know. And then we call her up and then she says it and you realize it was a joke. And it's like, oh, oh! right? It's like, you know. Just um. like the little piece of sarcasm. You're like, all right, that was really funny, but it was just like she's so serious and so matter-of-fact. And then she puts something in with very dry, with a very dry sense of humor. And we would miss it. But like I said, there were things where she said, yeah, this is good. So you need three more examples in this chapter, this chapter, and that chapter. Well, do you really think it needs three? And she would say, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, because otherwise I wouldn't have said that you need three. (laughs) It's (laughs) like, it's a good point. And And then people read it. You read the reviews, they're like, Man, what really stuck for me was the like, the three examples in this. And right, like, and she was right. So no, um, I, I,
1: but I had the same experience with Harper, the editor on my first three books. Had no comments. I have no evidence he ever read the books. I thought it meant I was a genius, yeah. and then. And then when he was fired, it was like he, the, the rumor was that he, they found manuscripts stuffed into his desk that he'd never opened. So you just don't know. And and it's so interesting to me like about the books that you receive. It's like there are entrepreneurs I meet who just think, well, I just need to be published. I just need to be on Amazon. And it's like, this is your legacy. I always say Amazon forgives, but it doesn't forget. Even if you put a book back to draft, it's still findable so yeah. if it's a terrible cover and a terrible title you're not going to be able to escape it so do it right
0: yeah that's that's great advice so anna what's the best way for people to connect with you to learn more about what you're doing so they can follow and learn and not make these terrible mistakes
1: don't make these terrible mistakes. Um, I'm on all the social media platforms, um, because again, social media is a privilege, not an albatross, um, at Anna B. David. And then and then my my book, which will probably be out by the time this airs, is called On Good Authority. You can just go to ongoodauthoritybook.com or you can go to ongoodamazon.com, which will redirect there.
0: OngoodAmazon.com, I like it. Isn't that
1: cute? With On Good Authority, you can do so many cute things. Like you can get the you can get bonuses for the book at ongoodgifts.com. It just like rolls off the tongue.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. we will make sure to include that in the show notes. And I encourage people, A, to think about where you could establish your authority with books. And then B, if you're gonna do it, do it right. And don't do it in a way you're going to regret later so that if you want to make sure that you're preparing for promoting and profiting from a how-to book that makes you the go-to expert with a long subtitle that you reach out to <laughs> Anna and her team who can help guide you through this so you don't end up with one of those books that I think, oh, dear God, this should never have seen the light of day.
1: Well, Ian, thank you so much. What a pleasure. You're such a good interviewer.
0: Anna, it was a pleasure. And um We will be following, and I can't wait to read the book. Thank
1: you. Thank you, and thank you for listening.